0: Welcome to this edition of Rail Group On Air, the podcast series brought to you by Railway Age, Railway Track and Structures, and International Railway Journal. This is Railway Age Editor-in-Chief, BMC Van Tuono, and this podcast is sponsored by Shift 5, that you're going to learn a lot about. It is my pleasure to introduce from Shift 5, Michael Wagand, the co-founder, president, and chief growth officer. Josh Lospinoso, CEO, chief executive officer, and someone who uh, I think a lot of people know in the industry, Gil Lamphere. He is the original financier of Precision Scheduled Railroading, and he is chair of Midrail Corporation. Uh, welcome. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you, and uh, thank you for your for your sponsorship. The technology in this industry is growing exponentially, and um, so uh, why don't we start out with uh, Michael? Tell us about Shift Five and what you
1: folks do. Thank you, and uh, thank you for having me uh, here today. So a little bit of background on Shift Five. Uh, Shift Five is a technology and transportation data company that works with our customers to allow them to operate smarter, safer, and more efficiently by unlocking uh, data off of their fleet-wide vehicles. Uh, we were originally born out of the Department of Defense, where Josh, our co-founder, James Karenni, and I all served as cyber officers. And the company uh, was originally formed to help the DOD defend our weapons platforms from cyber attack. Uh, over time, uh, we, we quickly learned that ground combat vehicles and uh, transportation systems like locomotives have a lot in common. Obviously, the Air Force's aircraft and commercial aviation have a lot in common. When you peel back the skin and you look under the hood at the control systems, and uh, and we realized that there was applicability for our, uh, our data acquisition, edge compute, uh, cyber monitoring solutions um, to solve both safety and security issues uh, in the commercial transportation market and also um, that we could do so uh, very efficiently and bring additional value to customers by leveraging that data um, in in really untold ways that we're still exploring and expanding with our uh, rail customers today. So thank you, Vilbert, uh, for for having us.
0: Well, you're very welcome. Josh, uh, why don't you tell us about your background and uh, your role in uh, Shift 5?
2: Great, yeah. Thanks so much for having us, Bill. I really appreciate being on. Um, so, like Mike and James, I spent about a decade in the U.S. Army as a cyber officer, spending a lot of time around operational technology. Uh, and um, you know, when we when we got out, what we basically realized is so many of these systems uh, that underpin modern society, the critical infrastructure, commercial airplanes, locomotives, heavy equipment. They've been around for a long time doing their job, you know, locomotives over hundred years. Uh, and over that period of time, there's been incremental advances in how we put these things together. Uh, and one of the most important advances was we started putting digital components into these systems because it just made so, so much sense. It makes too much economic sense for us to, to do it. So we start replacing analog components with digital components and over time, these OT assets, these big, heavy assets, like a locomotive or a military weapon system, uh, they may not look like it at first blush, but they are networks of computers. And so based on our cyber background, uh, Mike, James, and I uh, started looking at these things from a couple of lenses. One of them is you know, the cybersecurity properties of these things. You think about in the locomotive industry as well as in the military, there's this push towards um, autonomous uh, operation of these assets. When you think about that, that, that can be kind of scary if there's a cyber attack or a hack against one of these, uh, one of these systems. Uh, as well as because we started putting these digital components onto these systems uh, over time, over the periods of decades, there's an opportunity for us to think about these things as networks of computers that are talking. They're constantly talking about the operating conditions of the system. And the problem is, is a lot of times we're just not listening. And so you can take this data. We've seen this happen in other industries. You take this data and you can use it to solve real operational and mechanical problems and not just uh, you know, protect them from cyber attacks. So we think that there's a real uh, frontier here for the locomotive industry, as well as other industries to be able to leverage this data, like Mike was talking about, to be smarter and safer. So anyway, those are the things that we obsess about and, and think about on a daily basis.
0: So Gil, you had uh, approached maybe approached railway age um, not too long ago about about this company and what they were doing uh, you see a lot of opportunity here why don't you explain what motivated you to uh, to get involved with uh, shift 5 and what they're doing
3: uh, sure bill and thanks for having us all on the uh i i put it in a little context bill one, once in a while uh, you get an opportunity maybe once in your life and if you're lucky, maybe twice in your life to actually have an impact on, on things, uh, in this case, uh, on an industry. Uh, and uh, precision scheduled railroading was, was one of them. Uh, we had no idea how big or important that might uh, be. Uh, but uh, when I was introduced to the uh, Shift 5 individuals, uh, I realized that uh, technology Uh, and the role of technology in providing the next generation of growth uh, for the business, uh, that uh, Ship 5 really had uh, the key elements there. Uh, And it wasn't just in cybersecurity. Uh, uh, As you know, cybersecurity has risen to be number one on the ESG list of corporate governance in terms of issues that boards are discussing now. And uh, I think it became apparent to me, as I learned more and more, is that you have to have military-grade cybersecurity. You also have to have military-grade sensibilities about protecting your own cyber uh, uh, software and hardware. And that has been a sore point uh, in the data industry. But it's important to remember that these guys uh, were making the transition out of data cyber, which is sort of an old subject, if you can believe it, into mobility where human beings are involved, whether they be tanks or strike or personnel carriers, uh, aircraft carriers, uh, satellites, uh, or trains and planes and cars and fleets of vehicles, that we're not talking mobility. This is the next, it's it's cyber 2.1, if you will. And uh, uh, suddenly I realized that both on the cyber front, but also on the mechanical front, uh, which is where we started, really, out in 1987, 1988. Back in 1987, uh, we realized that mechanical was the uh, critical component to reliable service. It was the uh, uh, it was the S in PSR. It was the scheduling and the reliability of service that would enable you to provide the service to the railroads that would enable them to grow and offer a reliable service. And uh, that uh, gave us the uh, opportunity back then, Uh, and now we've come full circle where mechanical, again, is going to be critical, and that's where technology and next-generation technology in this area is going to provide us with the mechanical data we need to deliver the reliable service. That's going to be the future of railroading, Bill.
0: So the a term that's becoming more uh, uh, of the uh, corporate uh, and railroad, thankfully, lexicon is ESG, environmental and social governance. And um, you would remark to me that, uh, Gil, that um, you know the cyber is a huge part of
3: that. Could you uh, expand on that a bit? Yeah, the the uh, recent surveys uh, that are out. Uh, uh, have indicated that uh, cyber at the board level has replaced uh, racial inequality, uh, gender inequality, uh, poverty, uh, environmental uh, concerns, uh, uh, corruption, and executive pay as the number one topic that board members are concerned about. And I think they're aware now that maybe the companies are doing what they say is all that they can do, but that's not good enough, Bill. It, it now you have to reach outside. You're going to have to get outside resources to supplement your internal resources, and uh, that, therefore it's gone to number one. And I think the cyber, uh, the, the shift five people with their cyber experience have the opportunity both on the cybersecurity issue, but also now on the operational issue. We're talking about billions of dollars of market value. Uh, for the industry, uh, based on on the savings and on the reliability factors that can be achieved through preventive maintenance, which the shift five uh, electronics unlock.
0: So I wanted to ask you about vulnerability. You know, how vulnerable are the uh, are the railroads? Uh, not only from cyber attacks. Gil, you had talked about it at a recent conference, our next generation freight rail about. This practice, which hasn't entirely disappeared uh, as far as locomotives go, running to failure. that That's one thing. Josh and, and Michael, uh, you come out of the uh, defense industry. In terms of vulnerability, how do you see or how did you see the, ra- the railroads?
1: The way that I think about vulnerability is looking at it through, I think, the industry standard kind of risk framework, right? Likelihood times impact equals, equals risk to operations. And uh, let's talk first about the impact. When when shift five talks about cybersecurity, we consider cybersecurity of operational technology, um, of the assets that are actually out in the field, locomotives, uh, powered cars. Those are the things that we think have been overlooked by the security community when it comes to the cyber conversation within uh, the rail industry and other commercial industries today. Um, You know, candidly, the impacts that can be wrought by a motivated uh, and sophisticated attacker today against our operational technology assets are devastating. Um, We think about the control systems and and the fact that they are tightly coupled with, uh, uh, you know, things like uh, acceleration, um, you know, in in some cases, electronic braking is all computer controlled today on, on locomotives. You know, when we consider the prime movers, uh, you know, they're now entirely computer controlled. Um, Engine control units, uh, you know, these uh, LRUs and, you know, hardened computers are, you know, now come with the power packs. And so the uh, what used to be mechanical overspeed governors have now been effectively lifted and are controlled by onboard firmware uh, that can be manipulated. And if an attacker were to somehow change that uh, onboard configuration, they can, for example, overspeed a prime mover and uh, most of our mechanical people, you know, can envision what that's happened because uh, a lot of them with enough experience have seen it. You know, the uh, the rods blowing off from the top of the stack, uh, you know, essentially exploding a fire in the engine compartment. So, you know, what's interesting, though, is that uh, whereas in the past, the likelihood of these types of events was low and uh, in order to affect this type of, uh, uh, you know, devastation on an asset, you usually needed some type of physical access or supply chain access. But now today, the likelihood and the accessibility is significantly higher and it's growing every day. And that's the, uh, the message that we bring from our DOD experiences that we see that as um, the industry has continued to leverage telematics offerings, has continued to instrument and build connectivity as our global supply chain has become increasingly complex and interdependent. There are uh, easier access vectors um, that now enable uh, a relatively small but motivated uh, adversary to mess with the onboard software and firmware across entire fleets and, so uh,
0: just jumping off on that you know from a safety standpoint, you were talked about overspeed and you were talking about engine overspeed okay causing you know rods flying out of the block and uh, and all that uh. All that stuff. But it sounds like something that would happen in a in a top fuel dragster. But uh, um, from a safety standpoint, with positive train control, you know, we talk about overspeed. We talk about uh, overspeed operations, overspeed on 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 a, on a curve, uh, blown through a red signal. You know, all the things that that PTC is designed to mitigate. So you're talking about the possibility of of hacking into a PTC system and, and possibly disrupting how that operates even though it is supposed to be you know, fail safe or, or, or vital. What's, what's your, your thoughts on that?
2: The key insight here on like Mike was talking about is that the vulnerabilities from cyber attack are derived from those systems on a locomotive or a powered car which are controlled by software. Right, so you think about all of the different components on a, on a on a car that are uh, that are analog. Um, they you know, the numbers of those are diminishing every day. Uh, those things that run software, those things that are electronically controlled, that's what's vulnerable to cyber attack. So if an attacker is able to essentially run code or give instructions to one of these systems that's electronically controlled, that's where the concern comes in. So, for example, um, you know, in in I have to say, you know, we've done a pretty extensive review of positive train control. You know, this is a tremendous system that has a lot of potential, uh, not only for solving really critical safety problems, but also, you know, as you've reported for supporting a wide range of possible, you know, use cases. And and we're really excited about PTC. Uh, It is a software system. You know, it is is underpinned by software and the components of of PTC communicate over digital data buses. And so... An attacker could uh, potentially inject malicious traffic uh, into one of these positive train control communications channels, take over a component on the positive train control. Uh, and and from there, it's really just limits of your imagination. You have control of the system, what could you do? Could you, you know, let the, tell the operator that everything's fine when it's really not and then create some sort of really unsafe conditions uh, could you erroneously cause PTC to stop a locomotive while it's in a tunnel and create a dangerous operating environment for the crew you know you get you start thinking through these situations of how you control these systems with code and cause real damage to, to the um, not only to the locomotive but also to the the, the passengers and operators on it
0: truth is uh, stranger than science fiction. It almost sounds sounds like a movie, <laughs> if you think about it. But it's good that we're thinking about these
1: things. I think it's useful to kind of uh, maybe introduce the audience to how we at Shift 5 think about cyber vulnerabilities. Um, we, we've generally bin all of the onboard systems into four broad categories. When we look at what we call the cyber attack surface right all of the computers and in, in, uh, control systems that could be affected by an adversary and PTC is just one when we look at locomotives today many of them have been instrumented with telematics systems so that we can have real-time status health um, with tracking right these are provided by a number of OEMs and third parties and they communicate offboard the locomotives through a variety of communications channels. Their security, um, you know, may be outside the direct influence of the actual operator who assumes all of the liability. And we think that that's, uh, you know, a, an area for research and, and a conversation that operators need to have with those suppliers. Obviously, control systems come along. Like the traction motor controllers, the engine control units that are actually telling the engines what RPM they need to be at, um, the man machine interfaces, the cab display units, all of that stuff that um, has a role in, uh, in, you know, making the vehicle do what it's supposed to do and operate in a safe condition. And then finally, ancillary systems as well play a key role. So there, I think about AESS systems, the automatic engine start stops, right? These secondary generators in a passenger space, we all almost always have head-end power gen sets. Um, you know there are all of these ancillary devices that um, can be used to degrade, deny, or in some cases disable the ability for that locomotive to accomplish its you know assigned task for the day or its its uh, you know its its movement order, um, and uh, and can be used to cause operational headaches or in some cases cause failures that might have knock-on effects um, that that would uh, you know damage um, the system as a whole.
2: What we've observed, uh, thinking about the cyber problem, thinking about maintenance and operation, is that there's a common theme, which is that the operators and owners of these locomotive assets have an observability problem, really. It's it's that these components, these digital components, are generating so much data, you know, uh, but we're just not collecting it. We're not looking at that data and using it for... Um, Operational efficiencies to make maintenance smarter, so that we can live up to the the tenets of of, of um, uh, precision scheduled railroading, uh, or in this new frontier of cybersecurity, looking at that data and saying, is there an attacker here? Is is somebody in the wire mucking with these systems so that uh, they're trying to degrade or destroy uh, or, or or deny that that system from use? And so our key insight is that all of these problems are part of one broader class, which is observability. You need to get on these systems with, uh, with, with full take uh, data readers, data recorders so that you can tap into the nervous systems on these locomotives and these, and these uh, powered cars and pull all that data back so that you can, you can uh, make sense of it. You can, you can run smarter and you can run safer.
0: Gil, why don't you uh, address this from a, uh, Uh, operating a PSR standpoint, you know, where we know that locomotive availability and reliability is key. As you've said, you cannot run to failure. You can't do it. Otherwise, the the whole system breaks down.
3: Let's start with uh, the PSR system. Right now in PSR, we are matching the uh, horsepower of the locomotives in the consist with grade and other considerations to the weight Uh, that's trailing it. And we've got those pretty well matched up now for fuel reasons, crew reasons. uh, And uh, we run those things on a balanced, continuous basis. Everything's in continual uh, motion. Right now in PSR, uh, we are matching the uh, horsepower of the locomotives in the consist with grade and other considerations to the weight uh, that's trailing it. And we've got those pretty well matched up now for fuel reasons. And uh, we run those things on a balanced, continuous basis. Everything's in continual uh, motion. And uh, what happens is when you have an unplanned locomotive failure, the train consist has to limp into a siding and uh, cut the cars, cut the locomotive, and then continue on its way. And meanwhile, you've backed up in a dense area maybe 25 trains. Uh, and in Canada, you might have backed up six trains, but they'd be on a single track or a double track. You hope there's a siding there, and you hope there's sidings on sidings because uh, the trains have to pass each other. And so you've got a real issue, uh, Bill, and, and when you combine it with, uh, you know, the flooding that's going to start with the Mississippi now or the snowstorms that we've seen or the freezing uh, or a derailment or any sort of calamity or or just we saw back uh, not so long ago with just the pickup of economic demand and uh, the railroad's throwing more assets into that congested system, uh, you've got a real problem with PSR. PSR breaks down. And somewhere along the line Bill, somebody uh, uh, said, hey, I could save a lot of money by running things to failure, by running the locomotives to failure, because I don't have to pick up the extra insurance policy uh, bringing them in early and making sure they don't go out with a part that is not reasonably likely to make it to the next 90-day inspection period. And uh, I'm not going to self-insure on that one. And that person uh, is probably right. You can save money, except your entire PSR system breaks down. And I done did some quick calculations of what the cost is of backing up the system, and what it means, you know. And it's a couple. It's, it's 3 or $4 billion of market value to a single railroad, uh, not to mention what it means in terms of customer reliability and what it means to not being able to market new uh, reliable service to the customer. So uh, the entire system breaks down when you have that attitude. And as one CEO told me, uh, told my partner, uh, Dave Dealey, uh, uh, you know, this has got to stop. Uh, and it's been going on. And uh, uh, when, when we started PSR back in the late 80s, the number one person to the plate was not Hunter Harrison, who was Vice President of Transportation at the Illinois Central, it was the Vice President of Mechanicals at the Illinois Central, who was charged with getting uh, the, of the three locomotives that were uh, towing uh, or uh, pulling uh, 40 cars to get those locomotives working so we only had to use two and we could pull 120 cars, which was unheard of in the industry. Uh, and when that, uh, those guys went out to SP, which was the third largest railroad in the country at the time, uh, the CEO of Illinois Central, Ed Moyers, who Hunter reported to, uh, said, Gil, I, I just have one favor to ask, which is uh, I need one person. And I thought for sure he was gonna ask for a Hunter. He didn't want a Hunter. He, he wanted Henry Chidgey, the chief mechanical officer, to fix things, okay? So the role of mechanical has always occupied an incredible position. And right now, uh, we are bringing locomotives into repair. And what Shift 5 is talking about is when you bring them into repair, you know what's going on with that, uh, those mechanical parts. So you, you know exactly what to tackle when that locomotive comes in. And when the locomotive goes out, because you've had that precision, hopefully the availability index is met at 93% or whatever the target is for the railroad, but it's going out with a quality assurance label put on it. And uh, you know we've done some preliminary numbers about the uh, savings that would occur in productivity, the savings that would occur in overtime, uh, the savings uh, that would occur If you can bring up the reliability index, and we're talking a billion and a half dollars of market value or $2 billion of market value to a typical railroad that might have 5,000 locomotives. It's a huge number and that doesn't count the cost of having unplanned maintenance uh, failures on the line uh, because that really adds up to another couple billion dollars. And importantly, Bill, it's important to get into the numbers because if, if we can talk concepts all we want, but unless people understand that you can break down the cost savings and you can break down the, the uh, uh, problems of having uh, unplanned failures, if we can't bring them into the, the multi-billion dollar range of market value, multi, because these companies now are selling for 70 billion, and $120 billion in the PEs of 27, if you can't bring it into focus for the CEO and the board of directors to say, this is an important area, it's overlooked in PSR, and now it's come full circle, you've got to bring it to that level to get that attention because otherwise it doesn't move the needle and you've got to move the needle.
0: Mike, uh, I'd like you to talk about how you been. The systems, and that's another example of a, of a, a noun being turned into a verb. <laughs> uh, how do you bend the systems on board a, a locomotive? And I understand that there are four elements: PTC, telematics, control, and, and, and ancillary.
1: When we come into a defense customer or to a commercial customer, um, you know, we sit down and. and we understand from all of the stakeholders, right, ops, maintenance, executive, you know, all the way down to the line maintainers at the central maintenance facility, what are uh, the problems that they're seeking to to fix? We we understand the security ones because we're generally able to inform that situation, but we also seek to understand what are the operations and maintenance efficiencies that can be picked up and gained as we uh, tailor where our solution kind of, you know, uh, taps into and, and connects to these systems. And then we look at a... Uh, you know at a, at a class of locomotive and we do a system decomposition and during that system decomposition we look at all of the onboard uh, electronics um, anything that has any silicon in it um, we also look at some of the older analog systems that interact with uh with digitized systems and we kind of put them into several uh several bins or, or classifications and you mentioned that ptc telematics control systems which are typically safety critical and ancillary systems and so during the system decomposition, uh, you know, we, we like to sort them out that way. And then we, we step back and we look at each of those systems within the bin and we ask ourselves, you know, how could an adversary get, or, or the industry term is pivot, malware, uh, whether that's firmware, software, or some type of hardware device that would be swapped out during routine maintenance, that would have some type of embedded code, maybe even in a special chip like an FPGA, you know, how could they get that, that on board? And we like to um, have that conversation by bin, because you know obviously talking about the control systems uh, is a very different safety consideration than uh, for PTC, which has a lot of caveats and is a much larger integrated system, has a totally different cyber attack surface and risk posture. The effects that you can have on the system um, are very different. When we're talking about PTC, you know the TMC on board and the CDUs and the information they're presenting to. Uh, the user, very different conversation there than when we're talking about a traction motor control system that has the ability to determine how much juice, right, is going to uh, the axles at the end of the day, how much attractive effort we're applying to the rail. Um, so we we like to separate things into those bins because we find that there are common cyber um, themes when it comes to the access vector, that is the way that an attacker gets malware on board. Um, and. Uh, common themes to what they can do and can affect, both in terms of the outcome, which we use to the DoD terminology and we, we consider it you know either one of uh, six things: deny, disable, disrupt, um, destroy. Uh, I forget the fifth D, I apologize, <laughs> or, or the sixth one is manipulate, you know, and sometimes manipulating systems um, is actually the most damaging because you can have a manipulative cyber attack that is causing operational impacts that appears or manifests itself as some type of transient condition that would be chalked up to environmental, right? You know, it's just really cold or some type of other mechanical or, you know, failure or whatever. And it can be there across your fleet for a very long time. And to Josh's point earlier, he mentioned that the key problem in industry right now is this ability to sense. We can't tell if anything is good. We have no ability to do configuration management, no ability to sense that we have clean firmware and code on board our uh, locomotives as an example today. Um, and, uh, and I think Gil talked about some of the impacts and the costs right, to operations and maintenance, um, you know, imagine if a motivated adversary uh, was just tripping up and just increasing the friction of operations, how that would tally up over time. So that's, that's how we bend the problem. That's how we think about it. Um, and, uh, and I think a quick introduction to some of the effects.
3: Again, to bring this down to uh, brass packs, uh, uh, Bill, uh, we know that one of the class ones uh, locomotives has been hacked successfully. All right. We know that. Secondly, for several thousand dollars, uh, it'll take. It takes us three hours, and we can ensure cybersecurity on that locomotive. We can make sure that it, it's, it's, uh, there's nothing in the system now. We can make it cyber secure, and we know our cybersecurity uh, uh, algorithms are secure. So uh, to uh, do some math uh, back to the five thousand locomotives, uh, you know, you could hook that up for. million, you know, and and remember, a locomotive costs $100,000 annually to maintain. This is a one-time charge, $20 million, top military grade, uh, state-of-the-art, and boards of directors should know that, you know, in terms of insurance, D&O insurance, in terms of uh, liability insurance, in terms of people's safety in the cab, uh, people who might be affected on the outside. We haven't talked about passengers, trains, uh, and being in tunnels and being in uh, areas where uh, large numbers or numbers of people are gathered. So for a modest amount of money, the engineering is there and they can't hesitate now. I mean, everybody's on record now. It's an issue, it can be fixed, it takes us three hours locomotive, we can train the people, it can get done. All right, so the cyber issue, should be addressed, has to be addressed. But I, I wanted to, you know, lay out some numbers again uh, to say there's nothing preventing us in terms of the time, the technology, or the dollars involved uh, to, to not nail this down and nail it for the passenger rails as well. And we're, we're working with several passenger metro areas now. Uh, and some are motivated by the cyber, all are motivated by the suburbs, some are really fascinated and have gotten deeply into the mechanical aspects to help their operating issues.
0: You know, if you put it into context, Gil, I would say if the industry spent 15 to $20 billion on PTC and the annual capital uh, expenditures, capital budgets for the, just the class one railroads annual are Somewhere in the neighborhood of another ten to fifteen billion dollars, at least. Yeah, seemed to me that twenty million dollars is not a lot of money. (laughs) It's a lot of money to me. Of course, I could, you know, I could retire on that. Well,
3: but Bill, you're right. (laughs) Let me give you another perspective on it. You have twenty-two thousand locomotives, say at the Class Ones, uh, give or take some, because some are in the yards. But uh, roughly. you know that's like a $60 billion investment, not including all the service contracts and other things. It's a $60 billion investment that at one uh, that you can probably fix. Uh, well, at one uh, at a, a, a railroad that has 5,000, you can fix that for you know $20 million. For $80 million or something, you fix the whole problem, and you can fix it beginning tomorrow. This one is going to be is on top of us. We know there's been a hijacking. We, we know this is on top of us and we've got the
2: technology to do it and you get the mechanical for free. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing that's really exciting about this, Gil, is it's, it's not so often that you find a scenario where a cybersecurity product or a product that helps you with cybersecurity mitigation also can generate profit. Right, it's it's a pretty unique situation when that happens, but we found one here, which is the observability of the data on locomotives and powered cars, and so, you know, while you may um, consider a cost center in cybersecurity, the the fact that you're able to do preventive maintenance better um potentially do um efficient train operating feedback um you know monitoring wheel and bearing conditions you know there's so many possibilities here um with what you can do with this data that help you save money and it's not just theoretical so some of our passenger rail customers out on the west coast have had huge ROI uh from from us in addition to obviously the cybersecurity mitigation but being able to for example I mean, a, a locomotive, typical locomotive burns something like a half a million dollars a year fuel, right? Uh, if you're able to detect idling conditions, you know, if AESS is either turned off or it's not working correctly, if you can, for example, detect idle conditions within 30 minutes of a locomotive being left on, we've we've shown that you can pay for the cybersecurity. And that's a pretty elementary one. Uh, I think what uh, Shift uh
3: calling card is that, you can get into, say, the subsystems that are underlying OEM systems, but they're dependent upon other OEM systems that are very hard to extract information from. And uh, not, not to mention, get to the cyber aspects of protecting those. You open up multiples of data, and the quality of the data, the detail of the data, and the ability to dashboard that into a usable form is, is quite remarkable. I think my challenge bill to the to the industry is to is or the listeners is to say okay Gil you know I'm going to take uh, your numbers of 10% productivity and I'm going to take your numbers of reducing 15% overtime assumption and I'm going to attack your assumptions on the ratio of parts to labor uh, in a $100,000 number per year for a locomotive. And I'm going to look at that changing the, uh, the availability by 2%. And I'm going to challenge, therefore, when I add it all up, I'm going to char- uh, challenge your labor rate. Uh, I'm going to challenge your billion and a half value just on those, not to mention, say, a couple hundred million dollars of cost savings because of the unplanned break- breakdowns. You know, but when I tax adjust those, and when I multiply them by 27 you know, I'm coming out with five billion dollars for a single railroad, but my challenge to the listeners, Bill, is: okay, you do the math and see if we aren't in sort of the same ballpark. But you can be off by quite a number and still make this worthwhile. And you can do it for a relatively small amount of money.
1: Bill, I think also it's it's worth uh, you know considering where the rails want to go and some of the lessons learned from ptc so ptc you mentioned this incredible expense um you know that uh, that came about from legislation following an awful accident and uh it's taken over a decade you know for the industry to implement this technology we still see some challenges of interoperability uh unscheduled uh you know, delayed, uh, you know being caused by uh, by the system uh you know, malfunctioning or you know, causing train delays. A lot of railroads are looking to recover their PTC investment. And uh, I've heard this described as PTC 2.0 by uh, one of the major, uh, uh, you know, class one CEOs. And what's really exciting is that, you know, we took a, a lot of this into consideration as we were building out and, and continue to develop our commercial products because there's some interesting parallels with the communications paths in the Department of Defense. DoD spends a lot of money building uh, some very sophisticated communications networks. And now each of the major rails have done the same, and they have to keep that operational for compliance and safety reasons. Let's take advantage of PTC, you know PTC 2.0, and use that unused bandwidth in order to provide a cyber data monitor and enhanced locomotive interface gateway and ring as much return on investment out of that PTC investment while enhancing the safety story and get out ahead of this before, God forbid, something happens to the, you know, that, that results in another major tax on the industry where everybody's in a reactionary mode. And, uh, you know, this is really core to Shift Five's thesis um, of, you know, bring safety, bring security to the commercial industry, but leveraging government investments and DOD, get ahead of the threat, do so in, an, in a capital efficient manner, um, where uh, this isn't just a tax, uh, you know, there's, there's also all of this uh, upside, cost savings and potential revenue generating opportunities that we're exploring with some of our current customers and do it before the attackers force everybody to react.
0: In terms of uh, what this really boils down to, in, in my mind, it is improved customer service, improved return on investment. In terms of a passenger railroad, it has to do with what the public needs and expects
2: yeah a- absolutely Bill, and I mean, as you see more and more uh, locomotives on you know hitting production lines they 're just continuing to accelerate the amount of digital components and digital control that go into these systems because it 's all about wringing efficiency out of them, you know like you look at the the braking systems these days, how advanced they can get or um, you know, different kinds of efficiencies that you can bring into how the engines operate and gen sets and, and how important reliability becomes with these things. And the more digital components you put into them, the more important the data becomes. You know, one of the things we get so excited about is, you know, sure, the, the easy stuff of, hey, you know, your HVAC got broken in this car, and that's going to cause a degradation in the service that you're providing to passengers let's automate the ticketing process so that the second that something happens to HVAC system uh, or laboratories out of service, you immediately get a ticket and you can go put that thing into maintenance and improve the customer experience that that stuff's table stakes. You know, that's, that's easy for us. We route this data around. What we're really excited about is supporting the next generation of professionals that get into railroading. And what we've seen that's so encouraging is, um, uh, with some of our customers, data scientists, you know these young folks that go and do degrees in computer science and statistics, uh, and they come and they work for a, a railroad, and they're able to take the data that we're collecting, this really rich, incredibly uh, granular data, and solve complicated problems because they work with the railroaders, the experts in the industry, the people who have decades of experience and know intuitively how these locomotives operate, and they can translate that into models that they can use this data and solve really complex problems. The long and short of it is you've got these these experts people that have been working in railroading for decades uh, and they know so much about how locomotives operate and uh, what we've seen is that these, these young folks that are coming out of university with data science degrees are able to take some of the subject matter expertise from these railroaders who have been, been there and done that and then use the data that we're collecting to be able to solve these really complicated problems that have a huge impact on the bottom line and on the customer experience. And, you know, one example we had with one of our customers was uh, they had this ideas about fuel efficiency and different ways of operating the locomotives. And, uh, but it was hard for them to do an experiment. You know, you say, well, we can try this thing, but we're not really sure if it works or not. What we were able to do is to show direct correlation by like the millisecond, of what the output of these engine was uh, in an, in a real operating environment, so that they could do A/B testing. They can try the old way of doing things, and then innovate, try something new, and they have a, a measurement. It's all again, it all comes back to observability. They have a measurement of what the quantity of interest was, the fuel efficiency, and this is al- allowing you know these 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 uh, seasoned. Uh, railroaders and these young folks who who've got these these ideas about how to use technology to solve problems they work together to to be able to to propel you know the locomotive industry forward we get really excited about that we're just enablers right like we're not the experts in in, in railroads we're the enablers we get in there we collect this data we present it to the customer so that the customer can be the one to innovate
3: we have been very impressed by the level of technical skill and dedication and technology that we're finding with the class ones that we're working with. I mean, a number of these class ones are way down the curve. And uh, you wanna go deeper into jargon, uh, which isn't jargon, it's the way, you know, shift five communicates with these people. They are way down and they are very astute. And it's time that we take those people up and bring them up to the forefront and dimensionalize what it means in terms of dollars and cents. I've learned over 40 years in the industry is that the answers in a technical area, such as railroading, highly engineered, highly technical, it's all with these people who understand the details. It's the ability to take those details and raise them to the next level. But those people are present in quite a number of the class ones. With the commuter lines, the willingness to bring in outside people and help solve a problem is astounding. And you would have thought, well, it's a bureaucracy, it's public, it's this and this, absolutely the opposite. And you think, well, you're going into a, a, a class one railroad and all they know is about uh, uh, data security and wrong. These people are really in there and it's our job to get that, uh, that level of detail up because that's where the future of railroading is going to be. Josh is absolutely right.
0: And these are things uh, that, in my experience, we've been, we've been uh, talking about for, uh, for decades. The not-invented-here syndrome. You know, the drain of institutional knowledge. And you know, you know that term, the old heads versus the young people. And the young people think that the old heads, you know, are, are behind the times. And the old heads think, well, these young people don't know what they're talking about. Well, that's... So what you're saying is it, it, to
3: bridge the gap here. There's a reason silos exist in the railroads because it's so complex. Yeah, There's another term, silos, yeah. Silos, and, and, uh, but the younger people uh, and, and a, a number of the CEOs are very, very astute about those silos going horizontal and talking to one another because there used to be a taboo about you know, the different areas getting into each other's uh, operations. Um, But to be able to turn those silos horizontally and encourage ideas also going up and down as well as horizontally, that's the new generation. And that's what we've seen in working with the class ones. You need to crystallize it. You need to make it happen. you got to bring it up to the level uh, that people at the top can understand because they're not technically necessarily astute. We talked about four growth models for PSR. And the important thing, whether it uh, has to do with uh, taking and uh, uh, taking share in your basic merchandise uh, areas away from other forms of transportation, and using price selectively there, uh, we talked about flexible PSR, for example, uh, uh, leaving at certain times and arriving at certain times with pinpoint accuracy in the Florida East Coast model there, Flexi PSR. Uh, we talked about laying new track uh, between uh, uh, cities. We talked about doing nothing. But the key to all of them, and they're not mutually exclusive, is reliability. Because if you have reliability, you can grow. And that's what Shift 5 is really about. You protect on the cyber side, but you open up the mechanical side. You have reliability. Yes, you can pay for itself many times over, but you have that reliability. You can do any of those strategies.
1: Bill, we're just really excited to uh, contribute to safety, security, and efficiency in rail. Uh, we see tremendous uh, potential to take the technology that the Department of Defense has been investing in and helping us build and, and transfer that uh, so that you know, our, our society continue to, can continue to grow prosperously.
3: I get excited about things because they can happen. PSR could happen. And people, people said, okay, make it happen. Shift Five is a company that makes things happen. They can happen now. We have the technology, we have the people. We're rolling out with certain uh, railroads, passenger rails, the class ones. But we can address these problems now. It's not that we have to develop the technology. It's not that we have to train a lot of people. We can do it now. Most things in railroading are complex and, and take a long time. We'll hook up five of your locomotives and show you everything in the period of three or four months. This can happen today. And that runs my motor.
0: Well, Michael, uh, Josh, and Gil, uh, thanks so much uh, for joining us. And uh, we'll be hearing a lot more from uh, Shift 5, I think, in uh, in, in the days and months and years to come. And as I like to sign off on all of these Rail Group On Air podcasts, uh, have a safe day, and thanks for joining us. (laughs) Oh, <laughs>